This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to Hits Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, I don't have any guests with me, it's just me. But I want to do a show and I wanted to answer some common questions that I get over, uh, I'll do a few different shows on some really common questions that I've gotten over the years, both from when I owned a, a publication and then through Hits and through this, I get a lot of uh, different questions. One of the real common questions I get is, how do you start a canine unit? So I wanted to spend a few minutes today just discussing uh, what do you do if maybe you're a listener, you're an officer, and you want to start a canine unit, and you, you're not quite sure where to start. So um, I've been fortunate enough to, over the years, help start several different units from scratch or maybe revamp their units. Um, so I've been able to, and I've also consulted several times when agencies were starting units, I've been able to meet with the, the administration and explain to them what they're getting into and what some of the different uh, things they need to think about when they're starting a unit. So I want to do this show. If you already have a, a canine unit um, and you're already up and running, it might not be the best show for you. But if you're just thinking about either maybe starting, maybe you have a canine unit in your agency, but you want to say start, if you've got a patrol unit and you want to start a bomb dog unit, you, you want to expand your unit in some way, or if you are an agency and you don't have a, a canine unit, what, you know, what are you getting into here? So just wanted to go over some different things that I, that I tell agencies, what should you do when you're, when you're thinking about it? So the first thing when, when someone comes in and say, you know, what, how do I start a canine unit? The first thing I tell them is you need to research a lot. And the big, biggest thing you're going to research is what are you going to do? What do you hope that this canine unit is going to do for you? Are you, are you looking to do a patrol dog? You know, are you looking to do narcotics? Are you looking to do bomb detection? And then when they answer those questions to me, when I talk to them, they tell, if they say, you know, well, we want a bomb dog. Uh, well, why do you want a bomb dog? What venues does that bomb dog, is he going to work? Where where are you going to get the use out of that bomb dog? A lot of times if they'll say, well, I want a, a dual purpose dog. I want patrol and narcotics. Okay, then once we research it a little more, they don't have the type of uh, um, maybe climate in their area. If it's, say, a, a an agency that... Maybe, maybe the patrol dog isn't going to be the right fit for them, but they do have a narcotics problem. So they're going to use the dog for 90% narcotics and maybe 10% patrol, which is going to be mostly handled protection. Those are all good things to know, you know, know what you're getting into. So figure out what, what are you going to use the dog for? And if you're the handler and this is what you're, you're trying to start proposing, come up with those answers and then talk to your administration and see where they feel. Cause you might think I want to, patrol dog and I'm going to use them with the SWAT team and you're thinking all that stuff. And then when you talk to your chief, maybe your chief is of the mindset that, you know, he, he never wants to have a, a, a dog that's going to actually uh, bite a person. So, but he might like a canine unit and just doesn't like that part of it. If you run into that type of objection, that's where you can maybe start educating them that, you know, a well-trained dog that, that does his job, if it is to apprehend a, a dangerous suspect the public supports that uh, overwhelmingly, but sometimes I ran into administrators that are like, "Nope, I'd never do that. Not going to happen." Until you explain to them, it's it's not the the nightmare you think it is. It's actually something the public likes. So if you're a handler and you're trying to start there, I shouldn't say handler. You're an officer and you're trying to start the canine unit. 
come up with what interests you and what you think would help the, your agency. Then talk to your your admin and find out how can we plug this in. Where what does my admin think that is going to be the best way? You know, you might be uh, uh, if you have a problem with like uh, or a perceived problem with guns in school. Maybe you can train a detection dog that's going to find guns. Maybe that could be a dual purpose dog that'll be a patrol dog and a, a gun detection dog. So there's different avenues that you can look down and figure out what is going to be the best fit for my agency and my situation to, to make this program work. So research as much as you possibly can. And then the next thing you're going to research is, you know, does your department have access to these services from another agency? If you're a city and you have a county that overlays your city, do they have a canine unit? Does that canine unit handle everything that your agency needs? Is there, is there some deficiencies there? Because a lot of uh, budget-minded administrators, when you go to them and you tell them, I want to start this unit, if they can raise the objection, no, we already get it from agency XYZ, they come over and do all of our stuff, that's where it's going to take a little more research to figure out if it's a neighboring agency, what's the liability for your agency by um, you only using the neighboring agency? You know, What's the mutual aid agreement? Is there a cost involved? Do they pay for any of that? You know, start start researching. Um, if it is handled by another entity, you know, how is it going to benefit your agency by having it done in house? And I've seen some units that are, you know, I've seen agencies that have uh, literally, I've seen one that has thirty or forty cops, and they have eight or nine dogs. So when you take out the admin and some of the other people, it's like half of the people that work patrol have dogs because they've had tremendous success on interdiction teams using their dogs. So even if you work for a smaller agency, don't assume it's, it's something that can't happen. It's just like anything, you know, all of uh, the administrators of police departments, they have to watch their budgets and they have to justify what they're doing. So if you're the, the officer who's trying to put this together, be ready to show your command, you know, what is the benefit to the agency and what is the benefit to the citizens that you serve by having this program and have that well-researched and understand a lot of the objections that they might come up with and be ready to explain, you know, what, what, what you're going to do to satisfy those objections. Cause it would be easy to get your one meeting with them and have them come up with two or three objections to why they don't want it. And if you're not prepared at that point, you're done. And depending on your your admin, it might be you're done and don't bring this to me again. Or it might be, if you're lucky, it'll be go research it and we'll talk again in a year or whatever. So when you get that shot to sit down and explain why your department needs a canine unit when you haven't had one, or it's a bigger hurdle if you're, maybe your agency had a canine unit some time ago and it didn't work for whatever reason either. You know, there's a myriad of reasons why it didn't work. Now you've got a bigger hurdle because they have a history and they can tell you all the things that were wrong and none of the things that were right. And now you've got to try and satisfy how you're going to do it different, how you're going to, to fix the right that was uh, uh, wrongs that were done then. And you're going to go through and, and go through all those. Plus, you're going to have all the standard objections. So make sure you're well researched into what you're doing. And the next thing you're going to do is make contact with every single agency around you. As many agencies as you can possibly find, make contact with them. Tell them, you know, I'm thinking of starting a unit. I want to see if I can come out and work with you. I want to see what you do. I want to meet your trainer. I want to meet your handlers. I want to do, and the more different agencies and the more supervise those agencies that you can make contact with, put your time into that. And what you research in there 
is what's the good with the dogs? What's the bad with the dogs? What can I take back to my admin to, to share success stories? Where can I get some pictures of when I was over there training with them and they were at an event where five different kids were standing there petting the dogs, big smiles on their face, and they were showing a great community PR thing. Where can I show some some stats showing how uh, many different uh, things they've done to, to be a force multiplier? Seizures, anything that you can do. Get You're researching when you're there, and you're also getting to know all the different handlers that hopefully when you start your unit, now you're going to be working with those handlers because I'm a big advocate of training with other agencies and knowing everybody in the area. So you need to start start developing those relationships early on. If you go out there and you get along with all these people, they will do everything they can because all of us that have been fortunate enough to do this for a long time, we're very passionate about police dogs. And anybody who wants to get in uh, this business, if they're in it for the right reasons, I will do anything I can to help you and be successful. And because the more dogs that are out there doing good work, it's just better for all of us. And it's, it's something that I've dedicated my entire canine career or my entire police career to. So there's lots of people like that out there that are going to come and help you do whatever you possibly can. So once you've, once you've met everybody, you know, you're also looking at, you know, what's, what are, what are the, the good and bad agencies? So, uh, you know, what, what do they do right? What do they do wrong? Who are the people I get along with? Who are the people I want to train with? Who are the agencies I want to emulate? So that research is going to be valuable when you get to the point where you get to start getting a dog. So all of that research uh, in the beginning could take you, you know, quite a few months to do it right. And, you know, maybe get permission from your agency to start doing it and then just do as much research as they let you, whether it's on your own time or if you can go over on duty, but start trying to, to meet different agencies, get to know all of them you can, and when you're doing that, you're going to be asking them, where'd you get your dogs? Uh, was the vendor good where you got your dogs? Was it not so good? Uh, where'd you guys do your training? Do you do it in-house? If they have a larger department and they do their training in-house, you can find out, are you running an academy? If I could make this work out, can I jump in the academy? So all this, uh, all these times of meeting all these people, you're going to find out that all the stuff you're wondering about, their answers are already filled. So all this research is going to pay off as you uh, get to know all the different handlers there. They're going to be able to tell you they're the good vendors, the bad vendors, what's good, what's bad about their unit. And all that's going to help you when you go back to your admin, you're going to get that shot to explain why you're doing it. So when you sit down with your admin, you're going to be well prepared. You're going to be able to tell them all your findings. And the first thing that you're going to you know get a feel from is do they want a dog? And maybe talk to them. Maybe if you have a, a admin where they come from other departments and they come over to you as, as chiefs or deputy chiefs or whatever, find out that at their previous department, did they have a dog? What was good? What was bad about that dog? What did they think of it? And you might find some, some objections that are, no, you know, uh, I don't like dogs because, you know, our dog did this, you know, bit the wrong guy or something. And that's where you're going to be able to, you know, by that point you've spent quite a bit of time with other agencies You've been to their training nights. You've seen what they do. You've talked to them. You're going to be able to explain, yeah, you know, that, you know, the negative could happen, but here's some positives and here's why that was an unusual situation. And here's why I'm going to do something different. So you're going to be well prepared to explain all that. So once they, uh, you know, if, if they, they agree that it might be good, find out what they think that the agency should use. So you might be thinking, I want a patrol dog, but then they're already thinking, I only want a bomb dog. So, you know, you have to start uh, agreeing to what, what is this dog going to do? What type of dog is it going to be? 
Is it going to be a, a floppier detection dog? Is it going to be a dual purpose dog? What are you going to do? Then once uh, you've gotten that far, you need to, at that point too, with your research is you need to know the cost. So have some idea, you know, how much is a dog going to cost? So with that, you're going to contact quite a few different reputable vendors that your research with your other agencies have told you where they've got their dogs. So you want to be able to call five, six, seven different vendors, tell them this is the type of dog I'm looking at. How much would it cost to get this dog and where are you located? Figure out the, the travel cost, find out how hard is it going to be to take uh, a experienced trainer from one of the other agencies that you've met with you to selection test this dog because um, there's a lot of good vendors out there, but it's always uh, the trust but verify. So you absolutely want to try and take somebody who has extensive experience in selection testing dogs, the types of dogs that you want. And where I'm going with that is if this guy that you're going to take has only always worked detector dogs and now you're going to buy a dual purpose dog, he's not going to be able to help you on the patrol side of it. So make sure that whoever you're going to take with you to the vendor is somebody who's bought those types of dogs, knows how to selection test them, and they're ready to go to the vendor. So that's one of the costs. So the cost of the dog, the travel to the vendor, it's going to be a, a cost to ship the dog back. So get all of those costs in a row, and it's going to be a, a decent cost just to start up because then on top of that, you're going to have a vehicle cost. Do you need a new vehicle? Can you retrofit the vehicle you have? The two things that you have to absolutely have in no matter what type of dog you're working, is some type of containment system, either a, a very, very good quality type of uh, sky crate, um, I think better than your average you know, sky crate, or even better yet, a uh, hard installed kennel insert for your car. And then you, in my opinion, you absolutely have to have a heat alarm for your car. There's lots of different vendors that have very good quality heat alarms, but I think it's a uh, negligent if you're going to try and run around in the, uh, any type of conditions and not have a heat alarm in your car for your dog. So those are two costs that are, are in my opinion, fixed. The uh, cost of the dog plus equi equipping the vehicle. Then there's a cost for training. You know, if you can, if sometimes you get training at the vendor, sometimes you can get training at, at home, which is better. It depends on where you're at, depends on the type of training you have available to you. I will say my word of caution is that I always have a little bit of worry um, with some vendors when you're doing the training at the vendor because the vendor is, um, they, they maybe if the dog isn't the dog that um, you should have anymore, a third-party trainer would probably be encouraging you to return the dog where I think sometimes a vendor might be more interested in just trying to get the dog through the training and get you on your way. That is unusual. Um, I think there's a lot of good vendors who, if uh, you were out there, you would bought a dog from me, you were out there training and it wasn't working out, would pull that dog out and give you a different dog. I think that's fairly common they would do that. But if you don't know what you don't know, you might uh, end up keeping a dog that maybe you shouldn't have, whereas an experienced third-party person might be able to say, hey, you know what, let's call the vendor and get him back. That's my only caveat. I think there's some excellent in-house training where you can buy the dog and get the training all at once. Um, but I do think it's always uh, valuable when you've done all your previous research to jump in and and have have those trainers that you've worked, met before at least be there on the day that they show you what dog they bought to show you the selection test and to check the dog once you you know get through training. Make sure that you're ready to actually work the street. 
the other costs that you're going to be dealing with, uh, besides training and equipment and the dog, there's going to be some vet care costs. There needs to be a budget for that. And then there needs to be uh, the canine care. So canine care is what you're paid for while taking care of your dog in your off-duty hours. And there's lots and lots of litigated cases on on that. The, a general uh, rule is about a half hour per day for the dog, per dog. So, um, you know, four to five hours per week is pretty average, maybe a little less, a little more. But, I mean, while none of the cases that I'm aware of say exactly what it should be, there is absolutely um, case law that says that if you have the police dog at home with you, that they need to compensate you in some way. So that can be any way of either paying you extra money at the end of the month for taking care of the dog. It can be giving you um, maybe an hour off every day. So you work a, a nine hour day instead of a 10 hour day during the, the four days a week and uh, the four days that you work that week. There's lots of different ways that that works out, but there needs to be an agreement on canine care. So with all that, when I'm talking about costs, I want to just touch base on funding. There is a temptation and a very common practice that when this is approved by admin, that it's one of the things they do is that we start to go and try and raise money for dogs. And personally, for dogs and for training, there's some great ways that agencies have like built 501c3s for their their canine units, and it works really, really well. Those they, uh, they do fundraising works really, really well. So research with, when you're doing your research, find out how are they funded. If they have like a, a friends of their department canine unit, you know, it'd be like friends of XYZ department canine unit, and they do a 501c3 and they have volunteers that do all kinds of stuff to raise money for them. That works really, really well. My, my own thought is at the beginning, there should be a cost to your agency. And I guess it's just the old fashioned part of me. You know, we don't do fundraising ideas for anything else in law enforcement. We don't buy, we don't do a fundraising uh, event so that the SWAT team can buy more bullets. And we don't do it for, so the DUI cars could buy a new motorcycle or traffic cars can. So I, I don't know where the tradition came from, you know, trying to do a bake sale to buy a dog. Um, it's great community policing. It works really well to have the community involved, but I think that should be like icing on the cake instead of the only way we can fund this is if the citizens jump in and pay for all of it. So I think a, a, a healthy combination is to have the agencies accept that there is a burden here, that they're a financial burden and they're going to accept that. And then any additional money can go to additional training, to additional equipment, maybe not put the whole entire bill. I just think that's a, a difficult thing sometimes for agencies when they're tied on money that they spend more time trying to raise money as opposed to being out trying to, to catch bad guys or, or find crooks and stuff. So once you've got that far and you're funded, you figured out all your funding, you need to figure out the handler selection. And is the handler uh, going to be the person who's put the most work into it to get up to there? A lot of times that's not a bad idea because at this point you're six months into this uh, process minimum. So if a person stuck through all the trials and tribulations to get to the point where it's now approved and they've got funding, they've got everything, they know what they're going to do, maybe that officer who put all that work into it should get the first shot at it because they've shown a tremendous amount of, of uh, fortitude by sticking with it. The one thing for an admin 
is you still want to talk to that, that officer. And if you decide you're going to do a patrol dog, for instance, you know, there's things you want to look for. You want to make sure that that handler is not going to be the type of person who wants to live vicariously through their dog. You know, are they going to do something with this dog that's going to get themselves in trouble, bring uh, any type of harm to your agency? You know, so you want to, even though this person might be super dedicated and they put a lot of work into it, as an agency, you still need to make sure, is this the right person for the job? So uh, that's the time where maybe the, the research with the other agencies, uh, as an admin for the agency, you can reach out to the other uh, departments and say, how do you guys select your handlers? And would you come and help us run a selection test for our handlers? And you would just set up interviews where maybe a couple of experienced, uh, it doesn't have to be admin people, it could be the trainers, just people who understand the, the, the world of working dogs and, and police dogs could come and give you a hand to uh, select, try and select the right handler. But again, I think a lot of times, if somebody's put all this work into it, they should probably be the first one who gets the first shot at it. So some of the other things you're going to look at with the handler is, you know, not that the handler is going to live, work uh, and live vicariously through the dog, bringing type of uh, uh, liability to you. Also, you know, a question that's always valuable to, to talk to the, the future handler is where do they see their role? And where I'm going with that is make sure that that handler understands they're still a uniformed officer. So, you know, I would, I always ask questions when I'm in those types of interviews is, you know, what are you going to think of the time where your dog has to sit in the car for five hours where you're writing uh, reports and helping the other officers, you know, and if I get a, an answer to where they say, well, I would never do that because my dog can't be in the car that long, then you understand that he's probably not of the right mindset. So they need to understand that this is, uh, you know, it, depending on how their assignment works out, they're still going to be part of the patrol division or somewhere where they're, they're still going to be responsible for some of the paperwork. And I'm trying to get to the people who, you know, they just want a dog just so they don't have to do accident reports anymore. And, and you'll get that in some, some uh, interviews. Once you're down the road, you know, one of the questions you're going to come up with an agency is, do we have a mandatory rotation or not? And that'll be the topic of probably a whole nother show sometimes. There's good and bad about both of those. So then finally, when you're getting ready to get this all done, you're going to need a written policy from your agency. And don't reinvent the wheel. Go back to the research of the agency if you've talked to, get all of their policies that they've written out and look through all of them. And what you're going to see is that most of those policies are going to be very, very similar in nature. They're going to cite Graham versus Connor. They're going to talk about a lot of different use of force, uh, the way they use their dogs. They're going to talk about different ways they use their dogs if they're detector dogs. Um, so don't reinvent the, the entire wheel there. Just start with their policies, look it all over, write your own policy based on the needs of your agency, and then run it through whatever review process you need. But Definitely, you know, get as many different policies as you can. And what you're going to see is that if you read 15 policies, 12 of them are going to be extremely similar. And the other three are just going to have a few different things that maybe are good or bad for you. But, but uh, start, with, start with that to write your policies. So once you've done the dog uh, selection training, you're, you've got up and running. The, the handler is done with his uh, training. He's, he's ready to go. There's a certification process. So just figure out how you're going to certify this dog. And all dogs should be certified, even if it's a, a dog that maybe is only going to do like administrative searches in the jail and you're not going to be writing search warrants with that dog. I think a certification process shows that you have a, a minimum standard for your, your unit and that they should do at least a yearly certification, if not more than that. So always figure out some type of certification for the, the and what that'll be part of your policy, how you're going to to certify and then once the dog is so now he's you've got the dog he's trained he's up and he's running 
The last part of it, once he's certified, is what is the ongoing training going to look like? Is Wednesday, is, a, is that going to be their training day? Do they train all that day or just part of the day? Do they um, get extra overtime for their training so they don't uh, miss their regular duties? You know, just figure out what is the, the training going to look like. So make sure you have a training plan and that needs to be a priority. And where I go with that is that sometimes agencies, um, they, they say, yeah, we'll train as much as it's possible. Well, then all of a sudden training is at the very, very bottom of the priority list and these handlers are not getting any training. If you're going to have this program, training needs to be ongoing, it needs to be regular, and it needs to be quality training. Otherwise, you're setting up your program to fail and you're setting up your your agency to probably write a big fat check to somebody because of lack of training and supervision. So all of those should be the the um, concerns when you're, when you're starting a canine unit. So hopefully in just 20 minutes, that's a quick down and dirty idea of, of what it takes to get a, a canine unit going. If you have more questions on this, simply email me, jeff at hitscanine.net, jeff at hitscanine.net. Fortunately, I've done this quite a few times and, and most any question that you have, I'll probably be able to answer pretty quickly. And if not, I have quite a few different uh, contacts that we can kind of work through any problems that you might have or questions you might have. So Jeff at hitscanine.net for anything. For any information about HITS, we'll be in Phoenix next year, August in 2020. We're going to be in Phoenix. Go to hitscanine.net, hitscanine.net. You'll be able to start seeing um, the different vendors that are signing up, start seeing some of the instructors as we add them. We are the world's largest uh, dog uh, canine seminar. And there's a reason for that because we, we try and rotate around. We bring a lot of different instructors. So uh, hopefully we'll see you there. And if you're in this situation where you're getting ready to start a unit, HITS canine uh, seminars are a great way to come and start doing some of the research I'm talking about, all of our networking. You get to meet different vendors. You get to meet different trainers. It'd be a great one-stop shop for you to get a lot of your research done. So. Thank you. And if you have any questions, email me, Jeff at hitscanine.net. Thank you. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come to HITS 2020. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come to HITS 2020 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2020 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffle gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there and we've been there too.